welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. Paul, I'm trying something different today. For a couple minutes anyway, I'm going to try to not be too big of an idiot. (laughs) Good luck with that one, Rick. Uh, Please let me know what I can do to help. Yeah, I'm going to need a lot of help. Um, But here's here's why. (laughs) So I got a question from a few winery friends in the Sacramento region. They wanted to know why a lot of farm-to-fork restaurants don't carry local wines. Well, Rick, you don't drink wine with a fork. That's one reason. Okay, good. Uh, but see how you're not helping with this, us not being idiots? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about that because that's not just the Sacramento thing. That is a it's thing. It's a nationwide Nationwide, thing. absolutely. Yep. And maybe we can even help narrow the divide. Ooh, are we, we the peace bringers? We are narrowers. We're narrowers. <laughs> <laughs> we're not dividers. We're narrowers. We're narrowers. <laughs> yeah. Good. Also today, listeners ask why they can't find some restaurant wines on wine apps and yep. what's the perfect gift for a new winemaker and how to get out red wine stains. Uh, don't spill with my first, but I don't Yeah, think. well, you, you haven't followed that advice no, at all, have you, Rick? Where are dark colors? Uh, plus, <laughs> our horrible wine writing has a translucent core with a greenish tinge. <laughs> and as Excellent. Usual, as usual, we'll make fun of wine snobs, including the person who wrote that. Yes, we will. And by the way, against all odds, we remain on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup. In their recommended podcasts. These are NPR people. They should know better. Sacramento's NPR station recommends us. Still on Napa Broadcasting, Paul. Yes, and they recommend us too. So, Rick, we've got them fooled. It's entirely true. And uh, if you guys are not fooled entirely, uh, go go look for us on Facebook and Instagram uh, and and on uh, Twitter at uh, where we are at Rick and Paul Wine. Yep. Um, like us, tell your friends, review us. You can even go to iTunes and review us. But yes. say something nice. Don't say be something honest. Nice. Well, and do it fast yes. before yeah. you get into the rest of the show. All right. So let's get back to this restaurant thing. And I'm saying for the record, I do think that there's a divide between the wineries and some good, well-intentioned sommeliers. But I think that they um, they sort of don't understand each other and, and wine drinkers lose because of it. Well, wine drinkers always lose. I mean, that, Poor that's, wine drinkers. That's right. Poor oh, wine I drinkers. I feel so bad for them. That's why they wine. <laughs> and why they drink wine. <laughs> All right. So not long ago, uh, what it was, is, this is where it started. A lot long okay. ago, I moderated a panel um, of Sacramento Region Psalms in front of a bunch of Foothill winery owners. So that so was Amador basically County, El Dorado County. Local Psalms, yeah. local, local winemakers. Right. Yep. And, and these are Psalms that are mostly in the Sacramento region. Yeah. And so this is, you know, they're, to them, they're the major city, big restaurants, the foothill wineries, good wineries, wanted to know why they couldn't get on the restaurant list. Yeah. And the Psalms said that they understood, and this is the interesting, this is where the divide starts. The Psalms said they understood that lots of people like the foothill wines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They thought of them as big fruit, oaky, approachable. But they said they're not the, the kinds of wines that Psalms want to serve. Right. And the winery said, but if people like our wines, why Aren't they the kinds of wines that you want that, to serve? First of all, that's a really good question. And I'm going to say that any psalm who says, I'm not putting wines that people like on my list because people like them and I want to give them something else, there's a flaw in that reasoning. I, I know any number of master sommeliers who will tell you they work at some of the finest restaurants in the world, and yet somebody walks in and says, you know, I really only like white Zinfandel, they will have a few bottles of white Zinfandel behind the bar, and if somebody desperately wants it, they'll get it. The job of a sommelier is to make customer happy. Yeah. Um, and and we... there Doesn't mean you have to put it on the list yes. in big letters, but if somebody but comes in and says, couple. I desperately, desperately, desperately want to drink this... So- Psalm ought to say, yeah, fair enough, I got a couple of bottles of that yes. in the back. Let me just bring you one. Well, and we we have studies that that, that prove that you're right. Um, and, and, you know, one of the reasons— Wait a minute. I didn't get that. Could you repeat that, Rick? 
I hate to say this. We have studies to prove you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right. I tell you, I'm right. (laughs) But, you know, the Psalms are looking, um, I mean, they have other, they have forces at work that are fair enough, right? right? One, they're looking to be unique from the restaurant down the street. Right. Dear friend of mine who ran a very successful restaurant in Oakland for many, many years used to say, my job is to give my customers something they can't find on their own. Right. If they can go into a supermarket, buy a steak, grill a steak, and drink a nice bottle of Cabernet from Robert Mondavi that's for sold next right, sold right next to the steak in the supermarket. I'm not giving them enough of a new experience. My customers come to me to find out what's new. Absolutely fair. All right. Another part of it is that a lot of Psalms and it is unfortunate an unfortunate force in the wine world is that they feel like they need to be tastemakers to be respected. Well, they need to teach people. Right. And that's and the part. Everybody that, knows how much fun we had eating lunch in school. Yes, uh, I, that's why I go to dinner to get to get an education. <laughs> to get an education, um, preferably but, my physics teacher would be my ideal. Right. But they, <laughs> but and they also do unless they have one of those giant books. They also have a limited limited wine right. list, and so they sort that's of need right. one for each slot. Yep. Having said that, this is back to what you were saying. We, we you know we've seen this study from the Cornell School of Hotel Administration. Those folks know what they're doing. They teach yes. hospitality. They're very good at what they do, and they yep. have shown that people feel more comfortable and buy more wine. They recognize a couple wines, couple wines on the list, just as a place to start the conversation. If you are a psalm. 30 to 40% more wine gets sold when there's a couple wines that people recognize on That's the list. Right. That is according to Cornell. That's right. And part of it is that yep. it just makes people feel more welcome. Well, and more comfortable. More comfortable. Remember, and, one of the things we've seen over and over again is people are uncomfortable talking to Psalms because they're afraid that the Psalms are either talking over their head or talking in a different world. And they don't want to look bad, right? Having a couple of wines where they say, okay, well, I know this wine. How would you compare the wine, other right. wine in the list to this wine? Now we got a reason well, to talk. And that's the other part of it. Is it gives them a reference point. It gives a them reference a reference point. point on price. It gives them a yep. reference point on style and flavor. So they, yep. have, they have a place to start. And, yep. and so that's the thing. Yeah. Um, and so part of it is that uh, – so some of it – you know, some of this divide comes down to this is that some of it is that, that what the, the the restaurants are looking for often yes. um, is something that's defined by what the restaurant wine folks think their customers want. But right. the thing is you don't do that with food. You don't say, you know, I don't think anybody's going to know any of this food, but we're going to make it anyway. Now, you right. do do something like you said your friend said. Would you try to give them something they're not going to get it in the backyard, a, a right. grilled steak. Can't make it home. But right. you still – but you know what? There's a burger on every menu <laughs> or just about every menu <laughs> yeah, or something yeah. like yeah. that. Even in France. Even in France, as yeah. we know, we've yeah. seen, right? Yeah. Well, so, there, there's another side to this though, Rick, which is that I think a lot of small wineries don't understand how much work it takes – to build that relationship and get on that Psalms list. You know, the, the, the big commercial wineries, they got people who call on these restaurants all the time. They got, they're there to help out. They'll do straf- staff training, all of the rest of this stuff. You talk to a small winery and they say, well, I ship the wine to the distributor. What else do you want me to do? Right. This is uh, – I'm nodding again because it's hard for me to say you're right, Paul. It's, it's hard for people to see that on the air. <laughs> yeah, that's right? why I was nodding because I didn't want to actually admit you were right. But you are right. And, and what this is, is that? This is, a, this, is a, this is a thing. You know, it is – the wine business is tough. 
And if you're a smaller, mid-sized winery, yep. you get pulled in so many directions. But, yep. but even some of the smaller wineries, the ones that are successful, have learned that they need to be out in the market. And that means yep. knocking on doors. You know, it so, even you know, means it, going to a psalm who says, your wines are a little too big and a little too fruit forward and not quite right with our food. And it means going into the restaurant and saying, I'm coming there and I'm buying dinner and I'm going to drink my wines and I want you to drink them with me and I want you to taste work, these right. wines and let's see how how bad this combination really and is. And if the first wine doesn't work, then you bring them something different. And of if that one doesn't work, you bring yep. them something different. And what yep. that shows is it shows that it shows the restaurant person that that you, the winery, are going to show up. I want to be a partner, not just a vendor. And so this is why the the, the restaurants tend to, and they don't only, and especially the, the, the higher-end wineries, they don't only buy from the big distributors and the big wineries. In fact, just the opposite. But they do want to work with some somebody, some companies, some wineries that they can rely on. Right. For one, they don't want to have to keep reprinting their wine list. They don't want to get a wine right. on the list and have it not get refilled. Right. You know? and, but if we go back to the beginning customer walks in and says, here's what kind of wine I like. And if the Psalm doesn't have that kind of wine, the Psalm isn't going to sell as much wine. And if the customer comes in and says, oh, here are a couple of wines I see that I've had before. I understand them. Now, can you tell me how the rest of the wines on the list fit into this? The Psalm's going to sell more wine. Ultimately, our show's for consumers. We need to talk to consumers and tell them, if you have that experience in a restaurant, talk to the Psalm and say, hey, I have a problem with your list because I don't know what any of these wines are like and I don't have a reference point. I think you're absolutely within your rights to say that to a sommelier. Yep. Although, Paul, uh, as an aside, if our show was really for consumers, we would be smarter and funnier <laughs> and, and more useful. Well, you know, we're local. Yes. And so <laughs> yes, that's we the are, way it works. We are information to fork. Um, so, so that's the divide. And, that, yep. and that's it. And it really t- – it's – from both sides. The wineries, you know, you do have to... Wineries don't always do a good job of selling in the wines. Restaurants don't always do a good job of really trying to be local. But the people who can make a difference are the consumers who can walk in and say, I really want to try this wine. Why don't you have it? I have a funny story. Dear friends of mine opened a restaurant in Napa years and years ago. And I had... This was before the big explosion in microbrews. But I had a beer that was locally produced that I liked a lot. And I showed up at the restaurant and they didn't have any local beers. And I said, you know, this would be a great place if you had a couple local beers. And I gave them the name of the local beer I liked. And the owner said to me, Paul, the next time you come in, I'll have that beer. Well, I came back about 10 days later. And he wouldn't let you in because he recognized you? He took a look at me and he got white in the face and he ran out of the restaurant. And I swear to you, Rick, he ran to a store. He bought a six-pack of the beer I like. He came back. He put a bottle on my table and he said, I know you wanted this beer. And I thought, you know what? That's a restaurateur who's going to be around for a long time. Well, and that that is the last piece of this is that, you know, restaurants do get local beers. Yes. And they, yes. and they understand it. and partly because yes. there's also partly it's this that the mystique or the foolishness around wine is that you need to be reaching into the far corners of the earth to get something interesting to and also in some right. ways to build your reputation as a restaurant yeah. and or a sommelier yeah. whereas you build your reputation with beer by being local well the well, truth I think, of it is with wine you also build your reputation by finding local treasures too and remember that beer drinkers i think are a little less snobby than wine drinkers and they're perfectly happy to come in and say where is my local brew i love this stuff well, 
and I, I wouldn't call wine, it snobby. Wine drinkers are a little afraid to do yes, that. Yes, it's not snobby. It's afraid. It's yeah. that it's the fear factor around right. wine, and that's right. what it is. Right. So but they, they listen to us, so they can't be afraid yes, so of much. If you listen to us, we say a storm in there and ask for ask for the right wines. Ask so for the wine you want and make a stink. So here's what we do. Everybody call Paul, and he will mediate this. <laughs> um, call one eight hundred Paul Wine. Happy to do it. All right. Well, I hope that uh, explains something. And if it doesn't, we'll explain some new things because we're going to take a few questions. Cool. What do we got? uh, Well, first I want to remind folks that there's many places to ask us a question. Uh, Our website, of course, rickandpaulwine.com. Also, uh, you got your Facebook, you got your Instagram, and we got your Twitter, which is Mm -hmm. um, at rickandpaulwine. Any question uh, we'll do, wine, we'll give that one a shot. Okay. Our first one is from Suzanne in Morgan Hill. Wine country. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. She says, I have a couple wine apps that I like to use, but a few of the restaurants around here have a lot of wines I can't find on my app. Do they do that on purpose? And what does that mean about the wine? So this is really funny because it ties right into what we were just talking about. Sometimes the wines that restaurants have on the list are of such small production that they simply don't get listed on all the wine apps. There's a there's a well, and restaurants like that, and there's a reason for that because they don't like people going into their restaurant, pulling up the price, and saying, "Holy mackerel, I can get it at Trader Joe's for three ninety nine, and they're charging me forty seven dollars a bottle here." Right, and there is a markup, and there's a a legitimate markup on wine for a number of reasons, and part of it is that they do have to buy a lot, they have to store it, you know, and part of it is is that restaurants uh, they work on a very small margin on food, and wine is a key profit, and wine is a key profit, and in fact, the more the the higher end the restaurant, the more expensive the food, right. the slimmer the margin on food. Right. And so often right. that, and yeah. so, you know, it is, we, we sort of pay, that's the price we pay for eating yeah. at fine dining. Now, now, the other side of this is there are some wineries that produce wines just for restaurants, specifically for the restaurant trade, and they don't sell them in stores, so it's unlikely they would appear on apps for exactly those same reasons. Yes, yep. yes. Uh, and the restaurant would tell you that that's because they want to get you something original. Right. And that's not necessarily unfair. As my friend said, yeah. something you can't get in the local supermarket. Yep. 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 So, but now, so that's why. So on the other hand, Suzanne has only one option, which is to turn to the sommelier or the waiter and say, so tell me about this wine. How does this compare to maybe this other wine I found on my app that I like very much and start the conversation there? Yes. Or the local wine on the on the wine list that that very smart sommelier would have had on the list. There you go. Yeah, that's what she goes. All right. Yep. Our next one is from Ben in uh, San Francisco. Is an AVA a big deal? We were at Winery Name Removed, so we don't get sued in Sonoma, and they all—they were all thrilled to have a new AVA, whatever that means. Should we have been more excited for them? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, if it's a new AVA in Sonoma, it's got to be Petaluma Gas. I'm sure that's what it was. And what an AVA is is based on the idea in France, in Burgundy specifically, that each little region of the wine world tastes different from every other little region in the wine world. The truth is, in California, every other region of the wine world makes a different combination of grapes, different combination. It's impossible to draw the same kind of conclusions in California that you can derive from, say, Burgundy. 
Having said all of that, an AVA is about as important as they ultimately make it. Now, NAPA is an AVA, and it's pretty darn important because if you want to play in NAPA, you'd better make really good wine. And across the country, everybody recognizes NAPA wines are good. They're expensive. The AVA means something. But I can list 100 AVAs off the top of my head that nobody in America would recognize. And in that case, doesn't mean a darn thing because they haven't done anything to market it, promote it, and make it yeah, have any and, meaning. And what it means, by the way, is American viticultural area. Yes. And uh, uh, agriculture, or excuse me, Amer- American viticultural area. Area, yeah. Ag- yeah. Agricultural viticulture. American, yes. Dear Lord, Rick, American viticulture. Yes. Speak English, Rick. Okay. And uh, and it's also <laughs> supposed to have distinctiveness and history that sets it apart. Yes. So that in but theory, that, in, that, area, that distinctiveness in yes. terms of the application has absolutely no criteria that have to do with taste, it has to do with history but not taste. And so uh, there is also a, uh, a general sort of operating theory, and we sort of use this theory too with like the names of the of the sourcing of the wine, that the smaller the AVA, the more distinctive it is. Like some can be an entire county. Possibly. Um, some can be much bigger state, than a county. California is, a state of California is actually an AVA. But at the same time, the smaller they are, the less likely they're going to have the communication skills, the ability to talk about their AVA in a way that's going to make it mean anything to anybody. So, so, so the, you have these tiny little AVAs right. with three producers, and in the end, nobody knows about them and nobody cares about them, and it doesn't mean anything. They're very small. So the real answer, Ben, or anybody else who's wondering, when somebody starts telling you about the AVA, it's just, so tell me what it does to the wine. What does it mean? Yep. What does it, do? what does it mean? Why, why will yep. I love the wines from here? Yep. Uh, so, and uh, that that was Petaluma Gap. It's a windy, cooler area. So, if you look, the cool weather wines, that that uh, that's what you'll be kind getting. of like the breezes in Rick's head. It's an AVA, by the way. Yes. I, what is it called? I harvest ideas, Paul. Bald Mountain. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right. Uh, well, before we go too far down that road, that's it for questions for now. We'll have more in a bit. Uh, but speaking of uh, some really bad ideas, we have some really horrible wine writing oh, coming boy. up. Oh, boy. I love this. That's the signal. That's Same the thing. signal. Yep. I'm telling you, it means we have some horrible, horrible wine writing to it. Yep. Well, I often decide on just a single word, Rick. And the word this week is strident. And you're strident about this word. It is a strident wine. What does that mean, Paul? I don't know. I have this vision of a wine walking boldly down the street and not caring what anybody thinks about it. But I don't think that's what people mean when maybe, they use maybe the Maybe a protest. Right. It's carrying us a protest sign. Protest sign. It says yeah. more AVAs. More AVAs for yes. my wine. Yes. <laughs> yes. It just, it, it's a strange It's one wine. of those things where, you know, you anthropomorphize wine and then nobody knows what the heck it means. And it certainly doesn't help them in terms of what it tastes like. So eh, I uh, give that a, 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 a not passing grade, I've, a fail. I've anthropomorphized my wine. I've named it Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does it stride down the street with a protest sign? It does. It okay. Does. All right. So what do you have? Uh, this, this one's only the other direction. This is one of those, another one of those long som- sommelier test oh, type yeah. descriptors. Oh, yeah. In the nose, from, in the glass, this is from in a the newspaper palette, writer. in the ear. So this is from a newspaper review. In theory, a regular person would be reading this. And yeah. this is the direction. Okay. In the glass, a faint, light citrine yellow with a clean, clear, star-bright appearance showing a translucent core going out into the glass-clear rim definition with just hints of greenish tinge and light viscosity. 
on the nose. Wait, 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 wait. That's way too complicated so, for me. Okay, it's, a, so, it's a white wine, okay? It, we got that part. So here's the thing. If you were taking a sommelier test, that's way more than you need to, d- to describe. Well, if you were a wine. writing instructor, you would say, tell me what that says in eight words, and a good writer could do that. This is bad writing. It's not oh, yeah. bad wine description. It's bad writing. You don't need all of those words. Yes. Well, and most of them say the same thing. Clean, uh, clear, star bright. You know what? Star bright. You don't need clean. You don't need clear with star bright. Except star bright is a psalm descriptor that a regular person wouldn't know what that means. It wouldn't well, mean then it's, leave it, it out and right, say exactly, clean right. how or clear. Just, yeah, just clear. How, how, clear. Or, or, you know, there's nothing, no gunk in it. You don't even need to bring it up. Yeah. But, all right. It gets worse. Okay. It gets oh, good. worse. Okay. Because okay. I know you're going to like this part. <laughs> uh, there are nicely concentrated notes of pears, crisp Fuji. This is on the nose. Uh, nicely yes. concentrated notes of pears, crisp Fuji asp- apples. Though I don't know how you smell crisp. Stone fruit, <laughs> grapefruit segments, kefir lime, and warm minerality. <laughs> this is for, that one's for you, Paul. Yeah. Emanating from the bowl of the glass. Okay. Emanating from the bowl of the glass. Wow. Why, that, why is that even necessary? It's talking because about the if, smell of it. If you didn't know that, you we're, might think they were emanating from somewhere else. Well, right? I, th- I know where it's emanating <laughs> from in this case, so we're not going to say it on the air. <laughs> And warm minerality. Yes, yes. Warm, warm minerality. minerality. Well, that's a, I feel better already. That's a minerality that hugs people. And, or, or, or is it a is it a minerality that has been heated in the microwave for thirty five yes. seconds before it, serving? It, it could be. It could be. It's okay. kept overnight. All right. And, and on, on the palate, there's more. more. There's more. There's more. Wine is expansive with lovely delineated white fruit. Crushed pear skins, crushed pear skins, all of that, applesauce, sliced lime, clean, bright citrus character, and hints of green melon and chalky minerals with just a touch of sweet white currants. Okay. Um, what is white fruit? Is that bananas or is that honeydew melon or is that a white pe- – what is white fruit? Delineated white Delineated fruit. Delineated white fruit. So it so means, It's within the markers. It they, means they, it's, carefully, carefully they, – They drew a line. And said, so the white fruit, you go over here, and that's where the white fruit – I don't know. So, this, I mean, this is the kind of – this yeah. is, there's so many descriptors in here, you have no idea what this wine tastes like. Well, and not only that, but it's it, – Or what again, it's like. It's uh, – any, any English teacher in high school would draw a word – a line through about 12 of those words in each of these paragraphs and saying, unneeded, 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 unneeded. Yes. Yes. Uh, and, yeah, this was, uh, this was a Sauvignon Blanc, by the way. Chalky Minerals. Well, they're better than warm minerals. Maybe it's well, warm I don't know. chalk. And didn't we have some soft minerals a while back, I think, or some other kind of minerals? We, yeah. You know, you got to be – we had soft minerals because yeah. I said it might be talc. So yes. these are chalky minerals. Okay, so why don't the, they just say chalky? Because that would be too easy. Okay. Tastes yeah, you like can't chalk. make it easy. It's Tastes warm. like chalk is not a good thing. <laughs> All right. Mm, that's a dry well, wine. Well, speaking of chalk talks, we're going back to uh, <laughs> take a few more questions. Nicely done. This one is from Eric in San Luis Obispo. He said, oh, and Eric, I feel for you. Uh, my girlfriend just got a job as an analogist, and I want to get her a congratulations gift, but I know squat about wine. Any suggestions? Wow. Uh, well, I say I say Diamonds. <laughs> go right for it, Eric. <laughs> well, I had two options. One of them is a really good bottle of bubbly. Always, because, always a good thing for a wine person, by the way. Giving a woman bubbly is never a bad idea, especially a wine person, especially an enologist, and right. it's a good bottle of bubbly. And the other thing is, and I, I think you told me about this later. We have a we have a thing about um, um, a wine stain remover. 
Huh? Yeah. Why yeah, yeah, not yeah. get that for your enologist girlfriend? Because yeah. you know sooner or later it's going to happen. Yeah. If you work in the wine business, just, sooner or later. Oh, well, she's going to say you call me sloppy. But, um, <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually, that's actually a fun one. Uh, I, yeah. I, but I, I think that, you know, Eric and to anybody else who has uh, much more wine experience friends, yeah. a good bottle of bubbly is always a great gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wine people love yeah. bubbly. Non-wine people love bubbly. Yeah. Go and to you, a wine shop and ask somebody. You don't have to worry about it being that special. I mean, yeah. any well-known bottle of bubbly is going to do just fine. That's true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Um, yep. and, and it's a congratulatory gift. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everything works. And if you put a little bow on it, a ribbon, it'll it'll show. There you go. It'll show that you try. There you're you trying go. There, All right. exactly right. So, and actually, Paul, this ties to our next question. Oh, this is from Teresa in Sacramento, who says, "How do you get red wine out of a white shirt?" How do you get red wine out of a white shirt? Well, you have to leave the white shirt on its skin for a while, and. It, <laughs> Yes. Oh, no. You press I'm it sorry. off, actually, that's is right. what you do. That's right. Yes, that's a uh, So there are a couple of commercial products out there. Yes, they are. That, and they work. They actually work. That remove red wine stains. It, one thing I would say right off the bat is the quicker you act, the easier it is. If the red wine dries into the shirt, it's harder to get out than if you get it when it's still wet. Yes. I think what you do is if like you spill on somebody else's shirt, you rip that shirt off of them, <laughs> sprint down the street, and get to a cleaner's well, right actually, away. Well, actually, I have like, been I'll, in a— I'll be back. <laughs> I have been in a restaurant where someone spilled a sommelier spilled wine on the customer's shirt and immediately rinsed the area with white wine. Oh, yes. I've, I've heard that one. Yes. And then put a little salt in it to absorb some of the moisture. And if nothing else, it made a great ritual. And everybody felt really excited about having witnessed the ritual. And I think it mainly got most of the red wine out. Yes. And meanwhile, the guy sm smelled like he was a drunk, but that's beside the point. <laughs> he did anyway, probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The other one is uh, mineral waters or club sodas is another idea. Yeah. Um, it's really get something on it right away. And, you know, and, so, and then, but... Whether it's white wine, the mineral waters is a is a good one actually. I've I've used in, that in the in past. In Europe, you, yeah. um, many of the t many restaurants, you know, because people frankly dress better in Europe in general. I was dining with a group of people in Italy once, and one of the people, one of the women I was with, uh, spilled a little uh, oil, olive oil, on her silk blouse, mm. and the restaurant immediately res responded. They had a little can of a little squirt of balsamic ba vinegar. Of, <laughs> Sorry, they're going to make so her into a salad. Exactly. No, they immediately <laughs> shot her with the. <laughs> that's good. Immediately shot her with the with the silk protector or whatever huh? it was, huh? and theoretically got most of the oil out. So right. Well, and you know, I I say this almost every show. There is another uh, preventative measure. Dark, dark colors. Dark, dark, dark colors. colors. I wear dark colors anytime I eat. Yep. It's just that. Actually, I would always wild patterns so you can't, you can't see the spills. Tie-dye. Rick is a man right. for tie-dye. Well, well, actually, not seeing the spills is pretty much a good description of the show. So that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is Devin Cortan. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jeremy Merriam. thank you, Jeremy. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for studio use and for including us on their podcast lineup. Recommended Don't podcast forget, lineup. go to iTunes and review us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at Rick and Paul wine.com there it is any any place is good to ask us a question and if you learned anything today we hope it's selling wine is hard as the saying goes if you want to make a small fortune in the wine business paul start with a big one and watch it slowly waste away absolutely i'm rick cushman and i'm paul wagner and remember the best wines are the wines you drink with friends or with us especially us mm -hmm.